Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz podcast. I'm in First Kings chapter 17 this morning. If you have a Bible on your phone, you can turn that on and get to it. There have been a few moments in my life where I have felt like a real hero. There was this one time I dedicated a baby, and he was a perfect one-year-old, and he just leaned in while I prayed for him. I've never been any cooler in my life than that moment right there. <laughs> there, there have been like those very few occasions where, where you go to a restaurant and like my two friends in the whole wide world happen to be in that restaurant and you're walking to your table and you're like, oh my goodness, I know you. Oh my goodness. And, and you feel like a hero. Everybody knows your name. Uh, everybody has those experiences, those, those occasions in life where you've, you've felt like a hero, where, you're, where you've been on top of the world. And we all have the occasion of feeling on the opposite end of the spectrum. We've all, I, well, everyone except for me has put their foot in their mouth. Uh, we've, we've all said that thing that we thought, you know, you, kept, you stay up late at night afterward and said, why did I say that? We, we all have the experience of, of wondering uh, about Oh man, the stock market's not looking good this week. How much money did I lose? Better not log on to the bank accounts this week and look at what retirement's done over this month. We've all had those feelings and those worries, those anxieties where we felt like, man, the one thing I thought I had, I don't seem to have. We've all had those moments where we felt like nothing. Through the summer, I'm looking at stories from the life of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And so last week, I introduced this series, and I looked at an introduction of uh, the king who was king during the time of Elijah, and I looked at an introduction of Elijah himself. I did a deep dive into the position of Elijah in the, in the scope of Scripture. And I gave history from, from like thousands of years of Scripture. And, and I don't normally, normally promote my own stuff, but... It was pretty boring last week, I'll admit. It was pretty dry. But if you feel like the, New, the Old Testament is very disjointed, if you have a hard time understanding where certain people fit in the Old Testament when you hear stories of the Old Testament, it might be, it might be one to brew a strong cup of coffee and, and kind of just listen through so that you could understand the arc of, of the Old Testament in a way that I didn't understand the arc of the Old Testament until I went to seminary and I studied this like day in and day out for a few years and finally put together, oh, that's where all those pieces fit. And then if you're, if you're curious or interested and want to have further conversation about that, I am always available to talk about where Elijah fits in the, in the scope of the Old Testament. I would love to have that conversation anytime. So that's what I'm here for. If you, if you want to have that conversation, let's, let's talk about more about the widow of Zarephath, shall we? Uh, and so, right? Thank you. This week I'm looking at a, at a story that's dependent on the final details of the story I looked at last week. So last week, Elijah just burst onto the scene. There's this terrible king, King Ahab, and he's overseeing Israel, the northern kingdom. He's just this terrible guy, Ahab. Elijah bursts onto the scene. Out of nowhere, he approaches Ahab, and he says to Ahab, guess what, buddy? It is not going to rain for the next foreseeable future. And when it finally does rain, it will be because I say so. And then Elijah does the wise thing. He runs away. 
He runs away, and it tells us that God provided for Elijah by sending him to a creek on the east side of the Jordan River. He sent him to this, this place called Kareth Brook. And God provided for Elijah by, by giving him water from the brook, and he, he provided for him by ravens bringing food to Elijah morning and night. Yuck. Um, and so, at the very end of, of what we looked at last week, in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7, we read, But after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. And so we read what happened next today. You might think, here, here is Elijah, he is a total hero. Everybody knows his name. And so when, an, when a total hero is, is in trouble, when a total hero no longer has water, no longer has, well, he still has the raven food, but he, when he's in trouble, doesn't God just provide miraculously for Elijah? Doesn't God just make Kareth Brook run no matter how long it's been since it rained? Doesn't, doesn't Elijah just say, okay, God, I'm just going to put this cup here and you just fill it with water and, and everything will be okay? You, you would think that God would look after a hero and say, oh, here's one of my heroes. I'm going to just take care of him in a special way. But the story we read today shows us that God does provide for, for Elijah supernaturally, but it's not in the way we, we anticipate. And, and he does it. There's a couple of stories that we need to look at today to talk about how, how God looks at, at the heroes and how God looks at maybe the rest of us. And so we start in 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8. And I'm going to read for you now uh, 1, Kings verse, uh, 1 Kings 17, verse 8 through 16. It says this, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil at the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. Then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. I'm really taken by this story. I really, really, really love this story because it deals with a biblical theme that we don't talk about very often, and that's the biblical theme of hospitality. The Bible is actually very pro-hospitality. It's very pro-opening our homes and our tables to other people. And we don't think about it as, as something, a theme in Scripture very much, but it really, it really is something that the Bible mentions over and over again. 
in biblical times, it, when we get to the New Testament, we see that there are inns. Like we, we hear about inns in the stories of Jesus's, that Jesus tells. But in the Old Testament time, th- this, is, this is a long time before we get to Jesus's period in history. The world wasn't a safe place to travel around. So, so people didn't travel much. And there, there wasn't a hospitality industry. You know, today we have hotels every, on every couple of corners. And we have restaurants on every corner. And we have, we have the ability, if we have a little bit of money, or, well, a lot of money these days, if we have money, we can travel around. And there's this industry, this whole, this whole set of businesses that's ready to take our money and help us survive as we travel around. In, in the Old Testament, there just wasn't. There, there, there might have been a very few places that you could pay and, and get a room or a very few places that you could pay and get prepared food. But it wasn't like, like today. And so in, in the Old Testament period, people were dependent on the hospitality of others if they traveled far from home. So when Elijah approaches the widow of Zarephath and he's, he's coming into the city gate and, and he, he approaches... It's not completely out of line for him to, to ask a stranger for hospitality. It's, it's just a part of the culture. Hey, I'm a traveler. Could you help me out? Could you bring me a cup of water? And could you bring me a little bread too? It's not completely out of line, except for maybe the circumstances of the extreme drought that had been, been over all of Israel for, for long enough for Kareth Brook to dry up long enough for, for Elijah to need to go looking somewhere else for water. And so her response, her response is, is kind of heartbreaking. She says with all honesty, she swears by the Lord Elijah's God. She swears by the Lord Elijah's God. I, got, I, I don't have anything to offer you. In fact, I'm, I'm gathering a few sticks to make a big enough fire to, to bake the last of the flour and oil I have and then my son and I were going to lie down and die. And this statement reveals the depth of the famine that was caused by this drought in Israel. This widow and her son, they, they would have been among the poorest of the poor, right? Widows, women, uh, alone, lone women in, in the Old Testament time, they had, they had very little means of supporting themselves. And so if this widow was not left a great deal of wealth by her deceased husband. She, she's basically at the, at the mercy of charity that other people will give her. And during a season of hard economic times, of drought, of famine, a widow is going to be among the first casualties. And so under this, these hard economic conditions, she's, she's come to the end. She's come to the end. And this is just what happens, right? When, when, uh, when the going gets bad, heroes do okay. But widows with young sons, they're, they're the first casualties. It's survival of the fittest. This is, this is what happens. And so she is to the point of despair. She's done her best. She's managed what she had. She's rationed it out to last as long as it possibly can. There's a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. She's got the right, the right, proportions of each to make a little bit of bread. She just needs a few sticks that she's gathering up right now to make a little bit of a fire to, to survive a couple of more hours. And, uh, and so Elijah, Elijah hears this heartbreaking story and, and his words to her are, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. Scripture repeats that theme over and over again. God tells us to not, to not fear. Can you imagine being to the point of gathering a few sticks to make your last meal? Being, being to the point of having so little that you can, you can see what you have will last for one more meal for you and your precious child. You're, you're putting together the last pieces. I would imagine she was probably filled with anxiety. I would imagine she was, she was probably wondering, what's it going to be like when we get really hungry? How's my body going to react to this? How is it going to feel? Am I going to have to, will I outlast the boy? I can imagine her heart just filled with anxiety. And, and into that, Elijah's first words, first words, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he doesn't try to dissuade her. You know, he, he doesn't immediately say, oh, no. He doesn't, he doesn't poo-poo her worries. He doesn't say, oh, it's, it's no big deal. <laughs> he doesn't laugh at her worries. He says, do that. Make, make the bread you can. Make the bread you can. But then he, he says, there's a promise coming to you. I've got a promise for you. That there will always be flour and olive oil in your containers until the time the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. And so she does it. Isn't that amazing? She does it. She believes him. Just at his word, she believes him. And she, she makes the bread. And then in verse 16, we read, there was always enough olive, flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. And the word is enough, right? They're not feasting. They're, they're, not, they're not overindulging on any of these meals. But there was enough. Verse 15 tells us that this went on for many days. That, the, the flour and oil that was enough to make one meal for two people lasts for three people for many days, we're told. Just as the Lord had had promised through Elijah. When we think about the, the biblical theme of hospitality, this is, this is something that we see over and over again in stories of hospitality, that when people open their, their hearts and their homes to others, there is enough. Through Christian history, there, there, are, there is story after story of people who have, who have had enough because they have opened their, their hearts and their homes. They've, they've let others dine at their table when they thought maybe the whole family might get full if somebody has a peanut butter and jelly sandwich afterward. But then they discover because they offered, and they opened, opened the, the seat to somebody else, there was enough for everybody. We see it in scripture, the, the story of Jesus taking the little boy's lunch, five, five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus prays and blesses it and he breaks it. And he breaks it, and he breaks it, and he breaks it, and then there's enough to feed 5,000 because this little boy says, well, what I have, I offer to everybody. Jesus, Jesus is able to multiply it. In, in the, the stories of Christians throughout history, we've seen this happen over and over again. It, it isn't magic. 
It isn't magic. Magic says if you say the right words in the right order and perform the right, the right acts in the right way, then the universe or the spiritual forces or God will make it happen 100% of the time. Christians don't believe in magic. We don't believe that we can force God to do anything. There have been Christians who have opened their home and somebody has had to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich afterward to get full. But we have found the overwhelming experience of Christian people is that when we give what we have and we, and we offer with generosity to others, God blesses what we offer, multiplies it, and, and makes it last longer, longer than we thought. And so we, we have found this to be, to be true. And what I love about this story most is, is that the widow provides for Elijah through her generosity, but in an amazing and miraculous way. It's her own willingness to be generous. It's, it's her own willingness to open her, her home to Elijah. Her own willingness to share the last of what she has that God uses to save her life. God uses her generosity to bless her. And that really, if we opened it up for testimony this morning, <laughs> there would be story after story of people who have experienced exactly that. Joel stood up here just a few minutes ago and said, I can't believe how blessed I was because I spent the mornings here helping with VBS. This is how, how God seems to, to love to work, that when we give, God blesses us. When we take a step of faith, God gives us exactly what we need to follow through with the step of faith. When, when we trust God in spite of the way things look, God takes care of us. God, God protects us from, from what we think are going to be the consequences. And this is, that's just kind of the way God works in our lives. The second story that I want to look at this morning comes as a result of, of God's miraculous provision for, for Elijah. Uh, and it's not really about, about the drought so much as, as how God provides for the widow. And so picking up in verse 17, 1 Kings 17, through the end of the chapter, it says this. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, Oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die. And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he was revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. 
This is, this is a story about God's amazing blessing and provision for a woman who had no reliable means of supporting herself. It, we, can, we can fairly, fairly um, confidently believe that this boy, this, this child, is a, or her son, is a child. That he was too young to work. If he was old enough to work, he would have been working to help support his mother. And so we can, we can surmise from the details of the story that this, this is a young boy. She, she's got a, a young child, and, and we know from the, the, the social political realities of the Old Testament times that once he grew up, he gave this widow a little bit of hope. Without, without a child who might grow up and be able to help support her, this widow was, was really without, without much hope. There just wasn't a lot of, of economic future for her. But at this point in her life, she's investing in her small son, knowing that someday, someday he's going to be old enough to be able to work, and he's going to be able to provide for the two of us. So she's investing in her, in her boy now while, while, she, uh, while he grows. And when you think about this story, the, the two stories put together, you, you think about the low point at which Elijah found the widow, on the, on the outskirts of town, collecting a few sticks to cook the last meal that she will ever, ever make. And then, and then this miracle happens. <laughs> she brings Elijah into her home, and, and everything's okay. The flour and the oil, it's, it doesn't look like much, but it seems to be providing for us. We're going to make it through this drought. We're going to make it. Until, until it rains again and things get better and the boy's going to grow up and everything's going to be okay. And doesn't it seem like so many times in life we, we get to the point where we think, okay, it's, that crisis is over. Everything's going to be okay. I can see a way forward. And then the next crisis hits. And, and the, the, the widow sees how God is providing for her and her son for today. And then... And then her hope for the future is gone. She, she was just thinking about like, okay, we're going to make it through this drought. And then in a few years, maybe he'll be able to work and maybe he'll be able to help. And now, the flour and the oil, that, that's great. They live through the drought. Then what? Then what? She, her, her last hope for the future is gone. This seems so, so relatable, doesn't it? So common in our world. God sent, uh, God sent a drought to punish a king. And the widow is the one who suffers. It's, it's so unjust. It's so maddening. Well, it, it seems so, so common that the choices of the elite, the, the, the poor planning of the wealthy, the selfishness of the powerful, it leads to, to harm for the, for the weakest. Couldn't God have just, like, used a silver bullet and taken Ahab down? Couldn't God have, have been a little bit more targeted in his judgment on Ahab? It seems 
seems very unjust. And in this story, in this story, though, the Lord, the Lord provides. Elijah takes the boy, he prays, he asks, he asks God, he has the same questions you and I have. He asks God, why did you bring tragedy on this woman, Lord? Why have you done this, God? It's okay to ask God those questions. He stretches himself out over the child three times, cries out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, please let this child's life return. It takes three times. Elijah's persistent. He doesn't doesn't pray with with a great deal of bravado, does he? It's It's not the confident prayer of someone who knows his prayer is going to be answered. It's three times crying out, God, please, please don't. Don't let this tragedy befall this woman. And the Lord answers his prayer. The boy revives. Elijah gives the woman back her son. And in spite of the fact that she has been provided for through the drought for many days (laughs) at this point, she says, now I know, now I know that you are a man of God. The Lord truly speaks through you. The woman has received her son alive again, and with him, she has hope again. This, is a, this might just be a, a cool story about a miracle. It might just be one of those stories where we remember that the God who created everything has power over creation, even over death. Death isn't, isn't an obstacle for God. But it turns out uh, that, that this is a story also of God's care for those who are the least of these. This is a story that we, we see someone who could easily become collateral damage in a battle between God and a wicked king. This story reminds us that no matter who you are, God sees you. No matter how small and insignificant you feel. No matter, no matter how overlooked or undervalued you might feel. No matter how far back in the line you think your spot is, God sees you. God wants to bless you. It it is God who worked through Elijah who sent Jesus. Jesus who said, blessed are the poor. Jesus who said, blessed are those who mourn. Jesus who said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. For my burden is light and my yoke is easy. A yoke, by the way, that's an image of of Jesus walking alongside somebody else to carry a burden. A yoke takes two. Jesus says, come and walk next to me. The burden that I'm carrying, it's going to be light for you. If you just come and walk next to me. I would imagine that this morning there are probably a few who, who identify with the widow of Zarephath. Maybe, maybe everything was going good and then a phone call came. Maybe, maybe it just seemed like getting over the one trial to face the next trial. Maybe it's been a long season of wondering when will relief come. 
who feel like what little you have is in danger of being stripped away, who feel like you have no control over a situation that's so much bigger than you. I remind you that God who raised this boy to life is still at work in this world. Jesus, Jesus created you. He knows your name. He loves you. He says, come and walk next to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come and walk next to me. The hope that Jesus offers to give us is, is peace in the midst of anxiety. It's, it's hope in, in the midst of despair. Jesus offers us the ability to love in a world that just wants us to hate and hate and hate. Jesus offers us the ability to be kind in a world that keeps going further and further to its own side. And so, if, if the help that Jesus offers you today might be helpful, he's inviting you to walk alongside him. He says, come and walk next to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Will you let me pray for you? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. This day when we, we're here to celebrate. We're here to, to remember um, this awesome VBS that we had. We're here to watch our kids sing, and, and we thank you, God, for the opportunity we've had to dedicate Cohen, Lord, to you this morning. We thank you, God, for, for all of these things that we celebrate. This is a great day. We recognize, Lord, that in the midst of great days, sometimes we, we also have difficulty. And we also come at times to trial and even at times, Lord, to despair. We pray, Lord, that you wouldn't let our hearts stay in the place of despair. Pray that you would give us a glimmer of hope. But we recognize, God, that the hope that you offer, you, you say, Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. Uh, the hope that you offer us, Lord, is that Jesus would walk alongside of us. That the presence of God would fill our hearts and our lives and, and we, could, we could have peace instead of anxiety. That we could have hope instead of despair. And so, Lord, for, for my friends gathered here today, I pray that you would give us the strength to say, I want to walk next to Jesus. I want to walk alongside him. I want to open my home to him. I want to invite him in to share with me all that I have. Lord, as, as we open our hearts to the presence of Jesus in our lives, we, we trust you to provide for us what we need for each day strength to continue on, the grace to keep going. We believe that you can do that. And so God, in faith, I, I pray that you would bless these brothers and sisters of mine here today. 
that as they walk alongside you, as they open their, their hearts to walk with Jesus, that they would see your provision day by day. That this week would be a new week that in spite of circumstances, they would be filled with hope. They would know the peace that comes from walking with their Savior. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Worship teams can come and lead us in one more song, and then we'll have VBS kids up.